my grandmother had that I watched a ton of is the what? Math Magic. Donald Duck and Math Magic Land. God, what a of course. Great Donald Duck and Math Magic Right. Land. Donald Duck learns math You'll lessons. You'll learn about the golden ratio. Yes. <laughs> he opens all the doors. Oh my god. What an odd thing for someone to own on VHS. It's such like an instructional short, you yeah. know, that it's just, it feels so strange that you would like see that in a store and be like, yep, that's it. Right. They probably had a Kmart. But I loved it, man. Yeah. It was fun. I, I yeah. It's weird that the ducks of uh, cartoons get the more surreal ones because um, Daffy had the short where the animator yeah. is like With yeah, right, life. right. That's I think right. it's people, well, I, I guess, just, you know, to mildly go off topic from it, I think it's probably because they're more <laughs> interesting characters, you know, because, they like, are. Mickey's personality is kind of like every man, like, yeah. like, he just has to be, like, a nice guy, and Donald Duck can, like, get angry, which Mickey. is what makes him a more fun character to watch. And, yeah. um, who's suffering, Daffy Duck also yeah. has, like, big reactions. To right, him. like, that's, yes. like, like, yeah, they're, they're very, like, like grumpy and, and I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Is it just is there... because they can be kind of loud? Yeah, yeah. because the noise is And because they have scary people. penises. <laughs> yes, and they, <laughs> and because they live in a rape culture. Yeah. Yeah, naturally. Yes. That's a very important part of it, I, would, I think. I would love for people to just, like, unearth some, like, ancient reel in which Walt Disney is like, make sure the ducks are just fucking nuts. <laughs> because they live in a rape culture. Make sure that you know that, that, that Donald's relationship with Daisy is not consensual in any fashion. <laughs> and that his penis is shaped like a corkscrew. You'll never see it, but I want the audience to have I want an you idea. to know it's there. I want every editor to know that that's lurking underneath his feathers. <laughs> if, this is the kind, mind. if this is the kind of analysis we're capable of three drinks in, I am excited. Yeah. A legend is sung of when England was young and podcasts were brave and bold. <laughs> Welcome everyone to Why Do We Watch This? The podcast where we watch a not so great movie, talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and how we would fix it. <laughs> Before we get into that, I am Brendan. Whoa, what? Whoa! Drishler. I am Lee. I'm an ugly, horrible, grouchy old man. Delahanty. And I'm Chris. I'm an ugly old creep. Ravel. And as you could surely tell from our nicknames, the movie we watched <laughs> this episode was 1963's The Sword in the Stone. That's right, the Disney animated movie directed by Wolfgang Reitherman, featuring the voices of Ricky Sorensen, Carl Swenson, Junius Matthews, Sebastian Cabot, Norman Alden, Martha Wentworth, and two other kids also as Wart, in addition to the one we already mentioned. Wart kids! Yes. Kids three work. warts. We've got three warts in this movie. It is the <laughs> last animated film to have been released while Walt Disney was still alive. Oh, wow. Yep. Okay. So, before we go into the plot and all of the issues and our own histories with this movie, oh, yeah. let's talk a little bit first about the drinks that we made. So, for this one, we decided to go fucking way out all nuts since we're it's during the day. We got some brunch. We decided to do some heavy day drinking. So, we did... Three different drinks for three different characters mm -hmm. in the movie. The first drink that we made was called the Wizard Blizzard, which is the Merlin cocktail. It is one ounce of yuzu gin, half an ounce of lemon juice, half an ounce of orange blossom honey, some sparkling wine, and some blue luster dust. You basically mix all the liquid ingredients aside from the wine in a cocktail shaker with some ice, pour it in a glass, and then top it with the sparkling wine and add some 
luster dust and gently stir it all up so that it looks blue and magical and I, shimmery. I think for me that one gets the best look award mm-hmm. of the yeah. three because I thought the blue color was beautiful. The way the luster dust would catch the light and it would kind of affect the tone of the blue was really lovely. Yep. It goes down wonderfully smooth. Yeah, it was a very nice citrusy honey sort of drink. Yeah. Um, it was. I think it was a good thing that you had the yuzujin because I feel like the yuzujin really worked well yeah. with this. I think for me, I would have liked... I know we were trying to like conserve the sparkling wine to make sure we had enough for the next I should, drink. I could have done a little bit more. Yeah, I would have liked a little more. For me, it was a little sharp. No, I in retrospect... It, the gin was very strong. Yeah, it is one of those things that because we only had one bottle of sparkling wine, yeah. I was worried we wouldn't have enough. So I kind of skimped a little bit, but we could have gone heavier with it in retrospect and yeah. it probably would have helped. You know, I think it's because like, when you expect like a sparkling wine drink, you expect it to be a little more like... Fluff, like light, yeah, yeah. light, and it was like it was more on the side of like a Negroni, where it's like, ooh, this hits hard, right? Yeah. Yes, it did. True, yeah, it did. Um, but that was our starting point. From mm-hmm. there, we moved on to the Madame Mimosa, which was a very <laughs> simple drink. It was just one part sparkling wine and one part ocean spray cran grape juice. You know what? Let's not complicate it. Yep, that's right. You just basically look. You throw them in a glass. You make sure that they're mixed in between, then you popped in some frozen cranberries on top of that to act as sort of ice and also to look like Madame Mim whenever she has the virus at the end and she has polka <laughs> dots all over her. That one I feel um, you could serve at like a winter holiday party or something. Yeah. And that would that would go very well. Yeah. I've also I've never had cran grape juice before, so I did not it's yummy, know. right? Yeah, it was good. I didn't know what to expect. I was like, oh, is this gonna be like too sweet or like too syrupy? The the grape yeah. and the cranberry balance each other out really nicely. Yeah. yeah. Grapes really soften the, the bitterness. The, yeah, no they did. So we like wordplay everyone. Yes, we do. Madame Mimosa. Yeah, yeah. when you have a character named Madame Mim, you can't not have a Madame Mimosa at the end of the day. So we had that one while we were eating our brunch. And then (laughs) the one that we're having right now, because we were trying to space these things out a little bit so we don't all just pass out. Right, we wouldn't be totally blotto. Yes, is the Medieval Muddle. And the Medieval Muddle is two ounces of whiskey, half an ounce of cranberry rosemary simple syrup, orange bitters, and rosemary sprigs. And to make the cranberry rosemary simple syrup, it's just half a cup of water, half a cup of sugar, quarter cup of cranberries, and two rosemary sprigs. Now, to make that, you combine the sugar, the water, and the cranberries in a saucepan over medium heat. You heat it until it's almost boiling and the cranberries are starting to pop. Then you remove it from the heat, add the rosemary, let it rest for 15 minutes with all of that in it. Then when it's cooled down, you strain out the solids, and you can store it you know, in a sealed jar for up to two weeks, basically. When you're making the cocktail itself, the first thing that we did is... Lee bought some little metal cocktail swords off of Amazon, <laughs> and our thought was we will put these swords inside a large, like, square whiskey ice cube, yeah. so it will look like the sword sticking out of the anvil and the stone in the movie. So we made some of those. Sword in the whiskey stone yes. in this case. We put them in the glass. We added the whiskey, the cranberry rosemary syrup, and the bitters, stirred it up a little bit to mix it, and topped with a rosemary sprig for garnish to make it a little woodsy, because there's a lot of woods in this movie, because despite being 70 degrees out, it is still technically autumn right now. So we wanted something that vied well with that, and obviously cranberry and rosemary uh, does the trick for that. So what uh, did you guys think of the third one? This one, it might be oh, the MVP. It's really good. For yeah, this is, I think this is probably the best one. It's a really good old-fashioned. Yeah. Also, I gotta say, the ice cube still holds up. I can still lift it by Same. the sword. Yeah. Yeah, Ditto. yeah it wor- I don't know how it works. I didn't think it was going to work nearly as well. Like, I didn't either. Used, like tin foil over it. To sort of yeah, I put it. right. I put tin foil over the tray, and then I just jabbed the swords through the tin foil oh, so right. that the swords yeah. would stand upright. I um, I also think like I mean, you can have this. This this could be a fabulous cocktail to make a Thanksgiving. I was just thinking like this, this could be a something fabulous I for cocktail to make a Christmas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that syrup 
would probably taste good and just like plain soda right, water whatever if you wanted, wanted it yeah. to. Yeah. Um, I, like I love this flavor. Yeah, it I plays just, really well with the whiskey. Yeah, I think we got really fucking lucky that all three of the drinks ended up being like pretty good. Uh, no losers, right? No we, losers. We've had times before where we've done one drink and that one drink has not turned out well. Yeah, so like we made three knockouts. Right, we were tempting fate and somehow it all worked out. Yeah. What is what is your guys's favorite? Is it this one? I think it's this one. I might like the Madame Mimosa better because predictably I'm just a sucker for a you. Lo- you love it, yeah. yeah. That's true. I mean, I will say this: I didn't dislike a single one. No, yeah. I I would drink any of them again. Very happily. Yeah. Very I want to actually try the, the Merlin one again when we, like, with more wine. Mm, yeah, no, that's that's a good call. I want us to maybe also pat ourselves on the back for getting a blue drink that did not have blue curves. That was, that was, honest to God, that was my only requirement for the drink. I was going nuts, and it was either, like, you can either get blue luster dust, or you can get that, um, what's, like, that blue, like, that tea, tea blossom... What yeah. the fuck is it called? Yeah. But then the problem is if you use anything citrus in it, it's like, oh, now it becomes pink. And I'm like, that's the opposite of what yeah. I want. I want it to stay blue. So I'm glad that this one stayed the color that I wanted it to stay. The only thing that didn't cooperate was the weather. If the, if that's we had true. the if we had the November 5th weather mm-hmm. that we were expecting, mm-hmm. we would be like, what a cozy series of, exactly. of drinks. <laughs> yeah. And now it's sort of like, should we turn on the air conditioning? Or no. <laughs> Because uh, this is hell. But anyways. But the drinks are delicious. But the drinks are great here. Success. Yes. So having covered our cocktails, uh, I think the next thing to do is to go on to the synopsis for Sword in the Stone, which I'm sure that most people have probably seen this movie at some point. Chris, could you read us the Wikipedia synopsis for the Sword in the Stone? I sure can. Great. When King Uther Pendragon dies, leaving no heir to the throne, a sword, a sword magically appears in an anvil, itself embedded in a stone with the inscription proclaiming that whomever removes the sword is the rightful king of England. None succeeded in removing the sword, which becomes forgotten, leaving England in the Dark Ages. Years later, an 11-year-old orphan named Ar- Arthur, who is given the nickname Wart, accidentally scares off a deer. His older brother, his older foster brother, Sir Kay, was hunting, causing Kay to launch his arrow into the forest. While, while retrieving the arrow, Arthur meets Merlin, an elderly wizard who lives with his talking pet owl Archimedes. Merlin declares himself Arthur's tutor and returns with him to his home, a castle run by Sir Ector, Arthur's foster father. Ector's friend, Sir Pellinor, arrives with the news that the winner of the upcoming New Year's Day tournament in London will be crowned king. Ector decides that Kay will be a contestant and appoints Arthur to be Kay's squire. To educate Arthur, Merlin transforms them both into a fish, and they swim the castle moat to learn about physics. Arthur is attacked by Pike, but uses his wits to avoid being eaten and is saved by Archimedes. After the lesson, Arthur is sent to the kitchen as punishment after he attempts to relate what happened to Hector and Kay. Merlin enchants the dishes to wash themselves and takes Arthur out again. For the next lesson, Merlin turns them into squirrels to learn about gravity. The lesson is sidetracked again, this time by an amorous girl squirrel who takes an interest in Arthur. Girl squirrel! Uh, Merlin finds this amusing until a granny squirrel begins chasing him. (laughs) Granny squirrel. These are not names that are given in the movie. No, These are but names granny surfacing squirrel. now. Right. Granny Squirrel! <laughs> An old widow squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> An old horny An old, widow squirrel. An old horny bitty squirrel. She um, is hot for Merlin. Back at the castle, Ector accuses Merlin of using black magic on the dishes. Arthur defends Merlin, and Ector punishes Arthur by giving Kay another squire, Hobbes. Resolving to make amends, Merlin plans on educating Arthur full-time. However, Merlin's knowledge of future events, such as trains, planes, and the revelation that the Earth is round, confuses the boy, prompting Merlin to appoint Archimedes as Arthur's teacher. Merlin transforms Arthur into a sparrow, and Archimedes teaches him how to fly. A hawk chases Arthur, and he seeks refuge in the house of Madame Mim, an eccentric evil witch. 
She decides to destroy Arthur, but Merlin arrives to rescue him. Men challenges Merlin to a wizard's duel, and despite Men's cheating, Merlin outsmarts her by transforming into a germ and infecting her, illustrating the importance of knowledge over strength. On Christmas I Eve... Guess. Illustrating Kay, importance of washing your hands. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even if you're a pink dragon. Yep. On Christmas Eve, Kay is knighted. When Hobbes comes down with the mumps, Ector reinstates Arthur as Kay's squire. Arthur's delight at this turn of events caused Merlin to think he cares more about war games than his education. Arthur defends himself, and in a fit of anger, Merlin flies off to the 20th century Bermuda. At the tournament, Arthur realizes he left Kay's sword at the inn. <laughs> Don't you hate it when that happens? Fucking <laughs> so embarrassing. Uh, he finds the doors locked, but Archimedes sees the sword in the stone, though unaware of its significance. Arthur removes the sword from the anvil almost effortlessly, fulfilling the prophecy. When Arthur returns with the sword, Ector recognizes it, and the tournament is halted. Ector places the sword back in its anvil, demanding Arthur prove that he pulled it. Kay attempts to pull the sword himself first, prompting the other knights to insist Arthur be given a chance. Arthur pulls it again, revealing that he is England's rightful king. Actor apologizes to Arthur as the knights cheer for him. Later, the newly crowned King Arthur sits in the throne room with Archimedes, feeling unprepared for the responsibility of ruling. Merlin returns from his vacation in 20th century Bermuda and resolves to help Arthur become the great king he has foreseen him to be. Mm. This is the shortest movie we've ever done. This is, yeah, this movie is literally like 70-some minutes long. Yeah. Yeah. It's insanely short. Actually, I'm going to pull it. I I know we didn't do it for the pod, but it's even shorter than 88 minutes. minutes. (laughs) It's even shorter than 88 minutes, which is actually longer than 88 minutes. Uh, This movie was 74 minutes long. (laughs) I'm aggressively pro- a short movie if there's a reason why it should be that short you know like if you're just at the point where like well the story has resolved itself right there's yeah. no need to pad this out anymore we've told what we want to tell uh, i don't entirely know if that's what happens here i'm not entirely sure that the movie it the has, ending feels abrupt yeah yes. that, that the movie has told an effective story we, in that span of time we stumble we establish we rather we make contact with this like end game central MacGuffin item yeah. in the last ten minutes, right? Yes, and then it resolves even faster. Right, the sword and stone is mentioned in the prologue in the beginning, no, not no. really again, and then in the last, I, I would say even less than ten minutes, in the last like probably five Seven, or so minutes. Yeah, yeah. Archimedes is like, hey, look, there's the sword and the stone from Grab the beginning. It. Grab it, and, and he's like, cool. Like. <laughs> There's no actual evidence that Arthur has learned anything. Right. Like, you never see him use any of those lessons. It's right. It's mostly told. just... Be, right. Like, the most you get, really, is the scene where he's fighting the fish, mm-hmm. and he yeah. manages to grab an arrow and shove it in the fish's mouth. Which and is then cool. Merlin's like, great job, you learned your lesson. That's it. Like, yeah. Like, you, you did a kid. just tell him that about three more times. Right. You learned your lesson about gravity, question mark? I would love if in every situation that his advisors or representatives or whatever are bringing him, you know, they're like, the the serfs are really concerned about the number of, like, wolf attacks happening. And he's like, have you tried just shoving arrows in their mouth? (laughs) Have you tried turning the serfs into wolves so they could see what it's like? (laughs) He'd be like, "Uh, your highness, we have a tremendous grain grain shortage. Well, have you just considered putting an arrow in the grain's mouth? (laughs) What if you sicked a bunch of horny old squirrels on them? Yeah, they could gather the grain. So let's... Solution, (laughs) serfs are grain now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> let's uh, let's let's go back to the beginning for this sort of thing. As I said, this is a movie that we've probably all seen before, and I know we, the three of us, have all seen this movie oh, yeah. before. And we've also oh, yes. we we've tread the Arthurian ground. Yes, yeah, so we've also. I mean, there, there's probably going to be <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's we've dipped our toe in it, and in so much as King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, has dipped its be muscled toe into it. <laughs> we uh, we experienced a fever dream inspired by Arthurian. <laughs> right. So we'll try to avoid uh, repeating ourselves as far as the Arthur mythos goes, but. 
But as I said, this is a movie that we've all seen before growing up. Mm -hmm. And so, Lee, I know this was a movie that, that you were very fond of as a child. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This was probably one of the, like this one and um, Great Mouse. The Great Mouse Detective yeah. are like, they, they were the how I discovered Sherlock Holmes and Arthurian legend, respectively, two things <laughs> that were like pretty formative in my tastes. I, this was one I watched a few times. I do not think it was one that I just like was like watching over and over and over again. I remembered it, but just not as well as others. Like I, the ones I watched all the time was like both Rescuers and like 101 Dalmatians. Yeah. And like that. And Fox and the Hound watched so much of that. I have, Why can't Fox and Hound be friends? I don't Society know! Society won't allow it. Yeah. Society just won't allow it. One one must hunt the other. Yeah. I, as a kid, this was not... We, we had like a fair amount of Disney VHS tapes when I was a kid, but this was not one of the ones that we had. So mm-hmm. it was a movie that I had seen a couple of times as a kid, just from like renting it or just... my grandmother had this. Yeah, or just like seeing it at friends' houses for me. Right. This is based off of, of course, the T.H. White... Uh, Sword in the Stone. Yeah, the Sword in the Stone, which was a... Which was like a book into it, like a, a short book, it's but like a, a novella. A novella. Yeah. There's a series of them, right? And then the later, novel. it sort of became like published as one tome called King. the Once and right, the Once and Future yeah, King. And I think that he mostly sourced his stuff from Lamorte d'Arthur. Yes, he did. Yeah, so it's all kind of stemming from that. It's basically like his attempt to yeah. take Lamorte d'Arthur and make it kind of relevant for today's it, audiences. Yeah, and, and definitely like kid friendly. Right, yes. like especially with the Sword in the Stone. But the Sword in the Stone I is really right. Well, the Sword in the Stone is really dealing with something that was not really dealt with in terms of the Arthur mythos like there's not a whole lot of like what was Arthur like as a kid and more right. just sort of like what was Arthur like as a king what was right. the downfall where's that holy the, grail we're looking for all those adventures they went on right and so like this was just sort of his attempt to be like what did happen to Arthur as a kid like how did he meet Merlin it's an interesting idea and it it's, is it's this is the second time that we have consumed a feature length thing about young young Arthur pulling swords from stones pulling yes. them right from the stone that's right uh so there is like obviously an actual source material for this. It's not just sort of derived from the vagaries of Arthurian legend. Mm-hmm. This is in fact based off of a short novel published by T.H. White. It is a novel that was also rewritten by him after the fact when it was compiled into the Once and Future King. Uh, the character of Madame Mim, who is in this movie, was originally in the novel as well. She was removed from the version that now appears in the Once and Future King. So like there were changes. So there is a version of it. Either. Is this like a uh, like a mean Tom Bombadil? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was like, you know what? It's this is something off this is on Bombadil. Pissed <laughs> yes. off that he's not in the Hobbit. This, it's like yeah. this is this is too much. Goodbye. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, so. In, in terms of where we're coming from to cover this movie, we just thought it was important to establish, you know, both our own histories with this and what is the source material for this actual movie. Now, in terms of this movie being made itself, this it's sort of, I think, kind of interesting to note that this was a movie that Walt Disney had been trying to make for like 20 years, that he bought the rights to this book in the late 30s oh, wow. and was really trying to make it happen for a long time, like in fits and starts, and it just never happened until the 60s. Do we have an idea of like what kind of movie he wanted it to be like did he want it to be kind of light and child friendly or I mean, was he I looking assume... for something more like stately so, and prestige looking here's the thing I have to assume that if you're doing Young Arthur you want it to be kind of light and friendly mm-hmm. because like if you want it to be more prestigious and stately then you would probably gravitate toward the later stories That's of true. Arthur but then contrarized it's also like well you're the Walt Disney Studios you don't really want to do a story about like and then Arthur's wife had an affair with his best friend yeah. it's kind of like a, like, little, a little thorny right and my understanding was that like the creative teams at the studios were like this sounds more fun to us like the idea of like Arthur learning lessons and hanging out with 
Merlin, that sounds like something that hasn't really been done, and ergo, it's something that we want to do. I also think this Sword in the Stone also kind of shows off a, what I think is a feature, really, of Arthurian mythos, which is how kind of fluid and it can kind of be whatever you want it to be. Right. Like, there's so many different versions of every single story. Right. I mean, that's like certainly like, like, we had commented on this before with Robin Hood and we talked about it before with the previous King Arthur movies that there is not like a definitive canonical like, this is the story of King Arthur. It's like everyone interpolating all these different myths and characters to suit their own needs and going from there. And I think like even more recently, like movies like The Green Knight is a great example Mm -hmm. of how you can play with these familiar aspects and items but do your own riff right you just sort of take like the the bare bones of what they have and then you sort of like hang it on the framework that you want to i have a great affinity for these kinds of things where really it's more of a a, like a setting with certain maybe characterizations or elements that you can use or play with but there's not like a set order of events you must follow yeah right um and i i find those to be extremely enticing because I think it effortlessly blends this feeling of the familiar with the unexpected. Mm-hmm. And I like those kinds of stories quite a bit. Right. It, I mean, it gives you a lot of freedom as like a creative type or a filmmaker to sort of, as we said, like do what you want with so the story. Which, you know, in this situation, it's like, you know, young King Arthur is like his foster dad is Hector and his foster brother is Kay. Sure. Why right. not? I mean, at the end of the day, like you have to, if you're telling your own story, you got to just draw some lines because like you have these people like Hector and Kay and like Merlin and Taliesin. They have associations, but in some of them, it's like Taliesin's generation before Merlin. Some of right. them is like he's after Merlin. Some mm-hmm. of them, they're contemporaries and it's like, right. wow, we got to put some Yeah. Time. And I mean, and in the book, The Sword in the Stone, he, it takes place the same time as Robin Hood. So yeah, like he like, hangs out with Robin Hood, which yeah. like, which cannot be, bananas. but it does. Yeah. And we just sort of have to like accept like, it and roll with it or yeah you know get mad at it it's like the mythos of Albion like Avengers basically like wouldn't it it be cool if these folk heroes met and and like in real life like Taliesin's a recorded figure there's Mm -hmm. a book of his writings it's like there probably was a guy named Taliesin there probably wasn't Taliesin I thought Taliesin is the pronunciation I thought it was Taliesin I've always used to say that, but then people that are named Taliesin today are pronounced Taliesin. Oh, well, they're wrong. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> so just just to go real quick back to um, where this movie was coming at the time. So this this movie had come out. So to go to cover this adequately, we have to talk briefly about Sleeping Beauty, mm-hmm. which shares a lot with this movie in terms of sort of a setting and bits of aesthetic. So Sleeping Beauty, when that movie was being made, it was around the time that Walt was trying to get Disneyland off the ground. So this was like a time where he was more focused on Disneyland than he was focused on any movies that were going on. So it was kind of like, you know, he was basically just like, look, you guys like make this movie. I'm going to be focused on this park for a while. Like just do whatever the hell you need to do. Get this movie done. It's fine. So for a lot of the movies, Walt Disney was sort of like, you know, he's not really, he's not like a director, he's not an animator, he's more of a role of a producer and like a creative overseer. So for Sleeping Beauty, he was not at all really involved in that movie. Which, yeah, in so much as anyone is like calling the shots on Sleeping Beauty, it was probably like Ivan Earl who did art direction for the movie, which is why like the movie looks terrific. And has such a point of view aesthetically. But it's also probably why the story's kind of a little bit of a mess. Because like there was no (laughs) overarching figure being like no, we have to focus on this. Why are we focusing on the fairies making cakes for like 10 minutes? Because it was fun to watch. Right, it's it's literally just that. Because like the animators were like, this sounds like a sequence with a lot of great gags. I bet we can like milk this into five minutes of Fauna making a cake and it'll be hilarious. And so Sleeping Beauty was obviously a wildly expensive movie. I mean, you can tell when looking at it that it was like an insane... I love it. Yeah, I do too. The the palette of 
of it is so is stunning to yeah. me. Yeah, it's like it's a great looking movie, and it did not flop when it came out. But it was just one of those things where because it cost so much fucking money, like it could not recoup its budget. So it was basically like Walt sort of came back and was like, "If we're going to keep making animated movies, you guys have to do this cheaper." So one of the th- things that they did was it was um, this means of transferring animation to cells. Before, the way it used to work is that animators would do, like, the rough animation. They would give it to someone else who would clean it up. They would give that to someone else who would trace it onto a cell. And then they would give it to someone else who would paint the cell. The way it worked now is they would basically just do the rough animation. It would get cleaned up. And then it would just be transferred automatically to a cell without someone having to trace it on top. The thing that that did is it made the animation look a lot more sketchy, which you can sort of see in movies around this time period where you can see, like, there's a lot of rough edges. Mm -hmm. There's a lot, you know, it has, like, that look to it. You, You know what the look is. Yeah. And so... Accordingly, because they were moving to an animation style that was a little less clean looking, they were moving to 101 Dalmatians at this point, which came after Sleeping Beauty. And the thought was, well, 101 Dalmatians is like a very modern movie. It's set in modern England, so we can make it look a little more abstract and a little more like poppy looking mm-hmm. than we would for something like Sleeping Beauty. And it works. Like, really? I think like wow. there, there's a lot of like, it's a lot of exaggerated looks. The backgrounds are a little bit more abstract mm-hmm. than they usually are. A lot of the way that the background look, it looks almost as though like someone did a watercolor painting, then someone Glancy. came after the fact. Yeah, then someone came after the fact and drew like black Lines. lines to yeah. define what was on top. So like a lot of times like, well, the background won't quite match up with the lines <laughs> below it. There'll be a lot of like weird splotches of colors. And it's like a stylized thing that works really well for 101 Dalmatians because this is a contemporary movie set in contemporary swing London. Now, for me, it seems like a lot of what they did in 101 Dalmatians was just sort of transferred directly to Sword in the Stone in terms of the style of animation, the style of backgrounds. So it feels to me sort of like you were just kind of lifting what worked in a modern English setting and transplanting it to a medieval setting. Which I don't necessarily hate... I'm not saying I per se hate it. I am saying that I think it looks a little cheap and I think it makes the movie have less of its own identity. Because when we were watching this movie, we were saying earlier that in the beginning, like, it looks really cool. All these aesthetics that they have with the book opening, you get a lot of shots of crowds with people in elaborate costumes and that sort of thing. Yeah, well, I I think my problem is that it's uneven because in some scenes you get these elaborate 2D flat backgrounds that looks very, like, medieval Baroque style paintings and, like, illuminated, like, type uh, scripts and stuff and things. And then other times the backgrounds are quite simple and drab. Right. I think for me, I think, I I don't know if this is 100% true, but I think a lot of the times when you have like the background environments, they tend to be more like that. And then when you have like indoor environments, Mm -hmm. they tend to be a little bit more sort of like sketchy and modern for lack of a better word. So I think like for me, that's kind of the difference between the two is when every time you go into like Merlin's house or Merlin's tower, the backgrounds look a little bit more like 101 Dalmatians. But like the, the bits where you see the inside the palace at the end when there's like all of the heraldry it's like mm-hmm. a lot of elaborate it's really pretty yeah. yeah like patterns on the cape and like the yeah the, so the medieval fashion at the beginning when, the, when you're seeing the sword in the stone some and it's just like that static bits. background image of all of like yeah. the people assembled some right? of the jousting bits have some some elaborate mm-hmm. like calligra- calligraphic almost I like, love the yeah. style the helmets and the visors yeah, with yeah, the yeah. eyes kind of just sticking out in the dark yeah. I love that and the um like the, the all of the like yeah I don't know what the words are, like, tapestries and tabards mm-hmm. and, and such that are, like, displayed in the palace at the end are, like, really elaborately drawn. And then the actor's palace is just, like, a bunch of deer heads. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really, like, well, in it's, like, like the broiest of all palaces. It's yeah. just, like, a drab graystone room. There's just shit all over the floor. Right, like, piles of dirty dishes like, and animal bones. Yeah, maybe you're making a point about, like, where Arthur lives, the kind of environment. But then there's, like, that in. cavernous kitchen that's just yeah. heaped with mountains of dishes 
And we see, like, maybe four people in that space. Right. Ever. I mean, it's really, like, I, I think that's also kind of tying into a little bit is that this movie doesn't really have crowd scenes, per mm-hmm. se. Because, like, anytime, even at the end when they're at the jousting tournament, it's like these characters are painted into the background for the most part. Like, they don't yeah. move. You just see, like, a it, wide shot. It, aside from all of the bits where all of those guys pop out of the wordwork to be like, let the book Yeah, like, yeah, like, hey, it's the yeah, sword of the stone. It's great. That's the only time that there's, like, anyone... Other than that, you're only ever seeing Merlin... Ector, sometimes Pelinor, Kay, and, and, and Arthur. Right. That's it. A couple of animals pop yeah. in, yeah. A maid every now and then. They're, it's a very, like, barren of yeah. people. Right, which, which I a, think is always one of the weird things that I never really thought about until I saw Reason. Like, how few people there are in Ector's castle. Yeah. yeah. Lonely, lonely world. It is, yeah. Well, and, like, we only see that one lady maid. Like, yeah, yeah, who yeah. else right. is making them this food? There's right. Hobbs. We never see Hobbs. Right, no, that's Who's the weird... It's, it's, it, is, it is kind of nuts that, like, Hobbs is an unseen character in this movie. Hashtag Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> like uh again i do think that it kind of evokes the se- like this is the dark ages yeah like no i, I this very bleak right i think like right i think Castle's like it bleak. it works better for me in the outdoor scenes so, yeah. and like things like the scenes with like them in the forest it's more it exaggerated yeah, it look in a nice. pleasant way it looks like you'd be unsettled to be in this right like it's a it's not like a fun forest it's a very dark and creepy forest with little wily coyote and even like the sort of like the 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 wilderlands and the grassland outside you're like there's nothing happening here right it's eerily empty has there been a blight yeah no I mean it is like I assume all of this was simply a cost cutting measure just to like make this movie as cheaply as possible but it does lend a really bizarre sort of quality to it yeah again I think that the palette here is quite desaturated and and it is yeah I mean dark ages yeah until we. Except for those moments Again, the, where we get the illuminated well, yeah, heraldry. That makes sense because you're at this big fancy, we're going to figure who the next king is jousting right. ceremony, so everyone get your finery out. I, 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 I did miss the color. I think, like, that's. I think it's interesting that when you get to Madame Mim, about two thirds of the way through the movie. It's just a. It's um, the most goofy cartoon. Yeah, but it's, cartoon. Yeah. it's also. It's a massive injection of not only cartoonishness and energy, but also color. Yeah. Because. She is not natural. She has bright green eyes pink that contrast yeah, with her pink, pink and purple, and purple yeah. look and hair. Yeah. All of the creatures she turned into were highly stylized in a way and with a little more character mm-hmm. than the others are. Um, and I, I for one, am like, ooh, we need more of that just throughout the film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- this could probably be like tied into plot some way, but it is legitimately insane to me that Madame M shows up an hour into this movie. It just yeah. it, it's at the point where like, if you want this to be a villain, she has to come in sooner. And if you don't, villains. right? And if you don't want her to be a villain, then like, why the fuck are we being introduced to this character sixty minutes into the movie? It would. You would think it. 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 It made me feel like there was. Like you were intimating before, that there was really no one with their eye on a larger story here, because mm-hmm. if someone was thinking ahead, I feel like you'd just naturally be like, oh, Madame Mim, yeah, she right. should just be the antagonist. Right. It's a shame that none of us really had the time to read the novel, because, yeah. again, I just don't imagine how this feels when you're reading it. Does it make more sense? Because it feels like it is a very episodic It novel. is. Which I don't hate. I don't hate that. I don't hate that I either. either. But, but there needs to be like a connective tissue. Yeah, need to find if some, I read something the, cumulative going on. If I read on. the novel, do would I get the sense that I do not get in the movie that Arthur has 
grown. Right. Like, is there a natural progression so, of things yes. that we're missing in the movie? Because so many of the lessons that we get in the movie are, are like, or, or just like he learns the first time around he's turned to a fish that like knowledge is good. And then knowledge over might, wits right. over might. And then when he turns into a squirrel, it's like love is dangerous or gravity is bad. I'm not really well, sure. Well, we never get to the gravity lesson. And I guess right. we're just well, I don't think like, it is a gravity lesson. It's literally just that well, at one point. He does say that at one no, point. No, I know at one point he mentions like, like, be careful, you'll fall. That's gravity. And Arthur's like, what's gravity? And blah, blah, blah. But like, if the lesson was, I'm going to teach you what gravity is, it's insane that he doesn't just say that from the get-go, you yeah. know? No, you know, th- that's the whole point with the squirrel thing is, too, that like, it, they, they didn't accomplish what they set out to do because... They didn't expect to meet a horny squirrel. That's yes. just like that just became the lesson. It's like, well, I didn't. I turned you into a squirrel for one reason. We don't know what that is, but now the reason is, I guess, uh, watch out for hormones. Yeah, right, yeah. They're a bitch. <laughs> Although Paul pointed this out too, and I, I didn't realize that was like, it is oddly refreshing to look back on this plot and see how it really does not have a romantic subplot you know, organic or shoehorned in or otherwise. And I was like, huh. Yeah, but like neither did Dumbledore. I was going to say like neither, like Peter Pan doesn't really, like I know like Wendy's like, Wendy's like kind of into Peter Pan, but like yeah. Peter Pan doesn't really care. Right. That's from the book anyway. That's all from the book. Right. And like the Jungle Book by and large does not. Like I know at the end Mowgli sees a girl and is like, want to go to Man Village now. <laughs> but like it's not like the entire movie is about like Mowgli sees this girl in the beginning. Right. Like, I, I got to find her again. I just feel like a, a children's movie nowadays would have some kind of light romance plot or like a, a female lead for him to yeah it could yeah i mean it's certainly not outside the question i think just i I guess to sort of transition i guess to plot because i feel like that's probably what we're going to do at this point a lot of disney movies at this time felt weirdly episodic like if you look at the jungle book which is a movie that i like a lot of the jungle book right right a lot of jungle was just like bigira wants to take Mowgli to the man village you know what else they have share in common what two gay dads two gay dads two gay dads that's right and merlin bigira and baloo right you got one a little bit more fun one a little bit more uptight was that a characteristic of the kind of like stories they were adapting I, I i mean it is to be fair because i mean the jungle book like the source of the jungle book is like short stories right. so it's like mm-hmm. there's not really like a backbone Same here could be said of arthurian legend right well. yeah but i mean well, especially this novel yeah but I, I again having not read this novel i can't tell you if there was more of like a backbone to the novel mm. than there is in the movie maybe there was maybe there wasn't but i mean and then even if you look at something like the aristocats which is just like <laughs> something i considered pitching instead of sword in the stone it's just like that movie's so fucking boring i don't even want to talk about it is it. extremely boring but it, it's again just sort of like events happen to these characters like right. there, there is a vague thing that they're trying to do and but also the, you're just watching yeah. these characters react to right but also it's just sort it's of just like here's a new cat. character who's popped up let's right. interact with them for a bit it's just a cat version of lady and the tramp really it is pretty much yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, i never thought about that yeah. but you're right but like less good right yeah. more drawn out. i love lady and the tramp i haven't seen her as a cat in a long time i remember liking it a lot but i, I think it's because i just really like all the kitten i really like I mean, figaro yeah. a lot yeah who didn't like figaro cute there's, I mean, yeah, The Aristocrats is not, like, a terrible movie, but it's yeah. also just, like, there's not really a whole lot going Something on there. Something I find disappointing about the episodic structure of Sword in the Stone would be, I would think, if you want to tell me a story about, that culminates with Arthur pulling the sword from the stone, I'm fine with this kind of just being, like, whoever pulls it is, you know, the rightful king of England or whatever. I do not find that to be terribly satisfying, however, and I would hope that you could use those lesson sequences to sort of show mm-hmm. qualities that either he possesses already that come out in those lessons or he learns something new that would make him worthy of pulling yeah. the sword out. But that, we don't really, and it feels like such a waste, and instead yeah. it's just sort of repetitive shit 
where it's either like, oh, we got derailed, or we just go back to the same lesson of smarts over brawn. Yeah. Well, still, like the way that the what Th White did with that story is pretty much lifted from like a direct myth, earlier source myth of like. Yeah, he just went as a squire for Kay and, like, oops, forgot sword, and just... <laughs> that's yeah. real, like, just like, ah, if I guess I'll just pull this sword out, and then and everyone's like, shit, man, that's a... That's, a <laughs> that's sword. that sword of the stone, baby. Yeah, so that is, that is, a like, a real... Like, he didn't make that bit up. That, is, hmm. that he lifted from someone else. But I will say, yeah, like, yeah, in, in, if you're doing it in a novel or a movie, you probably want to... Build to it more. Build to it, not in a way that makes sense. Not like it's like, that's why he can pull it out, but right. at least, like... From a character arc point of view, right. to explain illustrate the yeah. That's what this yeah. movie is missing, really, and I don't know if the novel's missing it too. But like, we don't get a sense that Arthur's like ready or has learned anything from his lesson. Right, because I mean, then even at the end, once he pulls the sword out, it's basically him like sitting on the throne and being like, "I gotta get out of here. Yeah. I need Merlin for help." And it's I mean, just yeah, like Arthur's like a very like he's the first chosen one, really one of the earlier yeah. chosen ones in history. <laughs> but like, so you you know, like he gonna be king. And maybe in, you know, in a chosen one myth, like, you don't have to be, no one has to teach you how to be right, right. for that. But ideally, if you're telling a story about it, you want to make some point about that, right? Right, yeah. It, it is kind of hard to tell, I think, chosen one stories in that way where it's like, well, you're just special. Oh, well, yeah, he's just the chosen one. That's all that takes. But, right. like, usually in those myths, there's something inherent about them. And in Arthur, it's usually like, ah, oh, they're they're just a good person. Or right. just, or they're... Yeah, and I think like that's perfectly yeah. right. And that's like perfectly fine. Those are perfectly good qualities that you would want in a and leader, I think. also like pretty classic tropes. Yeah. yeah. But you don't even get evidence of that. Really. Right. I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to, well, so... I guess he is pure. Yeah. So Blink part... Dumb. Oh! Snap. So... One of the things that is sort of, I, I guess, worth noting, um, just, and this is not like a problem per se that is exclusive to this story, but you're telling a story where everyone knows the ending already. <laughs> and that's not inherently insurmountable, you know? Like, right. I, you know the ending to Cinderella already, right? Like, right. you know that she's gonna, it's, like... It's the telling of the story. Right. So it, it's just one of, like, because, like, literally the posters <laughs> for this movie, there are, like, posters and home video coverage that literally show him pulling the sword out of the stone as if to say, like, look, you know what's happening. Mm -hmm. We know what's happening. This is what's going to happen. And so when you have that issue, the problem becomes how do you tell a compelling story when everyone already knows the ending? And it's something well, like, well, the story that you're telling can't be, will he pull the sword from the stone? It's like, how does he pull the sword right. from the stone? Like, what leads him to that point? And something like that. And I feel like that's kind of what we don't get in this movie. Mm -hmm. Because, like, Arthur... I don't know a whole lot about Arthur as a character because Arthur is a character kind of Who a sock, Right? But, like... He doesn't want to be king. I know that much because it literally is never something he mentions. And like, why would he? Why would this Listen, character ever like? If yeah. Game of Thrones taught us anything, it's that people who don't want to be king right. are the best. The kings. one who wants at least is the one who should get it. Yeah. Um, and so you or have, the like, one with crazy like animal sight. Yes, that too. Even someone like Kay. Kay doesn't like really want to be king. It's more that like someone puts that idea <laughs> in his head. He's like, yeah. yeah, that'd be cool. I sure. guess. Yeah. Uh, you got the idea that he just wants to smash things with. Right. Things. Exactly. Like like he's just like a big dummy who likes yeah. to fight things and like he's just like yeah i guess that'd be cool don't if i was a big enough king? dummy to be king yeah don't you have that as your leader yeah exactly i mean <laughs> yeah. again um to, to sort of talk about like what is the story that they're telling in this movie like wh what is like the theme or the moral or whatever you want to call it like there's there's a part in the movie when um it, it's after uh Kay and Hector have like smashed up all the dishes and they're yelling at arthur being like 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 you you weren't doing your duties right. and you were off being a squirrel and arthur says something like 
Like, just because you don't understand something doesn't mean it's wrong. Like, you right. make all the rules and no one else can ever say anything. Which, like, I feel like that's, like, a thesis for this movie. Like, that could be what this movie is about. Because it could be about the idea that, like, just because you don't understand something doesn't mean it's bad. It just means you need to educate yourself about it. And also the idea that might for right is not a good concept. Just yeah. because, like, your stepdad is, like, a big blustering guy, that doesn't mean that he should be able to, like, make everyone listen to him. There is a sort of, like, I think it's it's a little bit kind of baby's first level. But it is very much, you're seeing a comparison of kind of two different visions of manhood, really. And one is one that uses their brain and believes in education and self-betterment and, you know, striving towards a, a greater truth, even if it's different from what you used to believe. And the other one is just like, raw smash! I, I fight and joust! Yeah. And it is also kind of cool to see a story that is ultimately about favoring that development and your wits instead of your muscle, even if we just hear it over and over and over again. Yeah, I mean, I think my problem is that I, I think the movie is a little too facile with how it tries to tell this. I do think that, yes, in the novel, the point that T.H. White is trying to make from what I've read is that it, it it's Merlin trying to teach Arthur this, like, might is right thing is, is outdated and mm-hmm. you need to have this wisdom, like, like what you said. For me, the biggest takeaway or the biggest moment in the movie that I came up with as like, a, well, this is an interesting point being made and an interesting conflict being presented is when Arthur is chosen last minute to be the squire and he's like very <laughs> proud. And like yeah. Arthur only knows himself to be a, like an unknown orphan. Right. Like no one. right. And like, therefore is not eligible for any station of, of power. Right. Ever. And this is like the best he can. Yeah. Hold and for. like being a squire is frankly like more than he could ever wish for. And yeah. He's very understandably like happy and proud about it. And Merlin is like, but you could be more. And it's like, but a... Arthur doesn't know that or think that. Right. Uh, and, and Merlin really isn't that forthcoming about, like, why. And I, I guess in the movie, too, like, in the book, Arthur Merlin knows that Arthur's going to be Right. Mm-hmm. In the movie, I don't know that he does. It doesn't seem like he does, yeah. yeah. He seems a little surprised. He just well. seems to know. Well, no, that's the thing, because he never says, like, he doesn't know who Arthur is when he shows up. Yeah. Just that he matters. But then at the end, when he shows up and, like, Arthur's sitting on the throne, he's not like, what the fuck, kid? No, he, what happened here? That's because he's been to the 20th century. I guess so. I guess that's the takeaway. He, he looked at the future, he, saw it, and he's he like... When he was in Bermuda, someone was like, can you believe the story? He fucking got the cheat codes. Right. <laughs> someone gave him a copy of T.H. White's The Once of Future. He was like, oh, crap. back. We need a round table. We gotta find a guy named Lance. Unless you prefer a square table, yeah, unless you prefer a square table. But no, like he doesn't. He doesn't know. But it, it, I, I thought that that was one of the more interesting parts of the movie, where it's like, yeah, like you don't, you don't know. Like if you're a peasant in this time period, you don't know to dream of anything better. You'd have no reason. It would be a waste of your time. Well, the ceiling is much lower in your mind. Yeah, yeah, in a way, it's like a similar point to like some of the characters in the Holy Grail make, where it's like you've got better <laughs> things to worry about uh, yeah. than like a better system of government <laughs> or a better future. It's like I, I've got farms to right, have. right, right. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the idea of like dreaming beyond you know what you need to do to survive is is like kind like of unheard you. of. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean like honestly for me like the biggest issue I think that I have with this movie is that there's not really like like I said before like a strong backbone or some sort of like overarching theme or Mm -hmm. lesson that's being taught and I know not every story has to have like a moral per se but I think like there needs to be something that compels you to tell this story and I feel like the the idea here is again it's probably something about like how education is better than like just brute strength we need to go deeper right it it hits it in so much as Merlin says like what's the lesson you learned and Arthur's like it's good to be smart Merlin's like you got it kid but like that's all we ever really get about it. Yeah, and my, my biggest problem in the movie is that you never really, again, beyond that fish time, the one the fish and the sword and the arrow, you don't ever see Arthur demonstrate that he's learned anything. Yeah. 
I mean, that's like, I, I think again, like that's kind of, it feels like for me, like there is an entire act missing somewhere from this movie. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like yeah. there could very easily be a version of this where act three is like starting after he pulls the sword from the stone. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, you have to be king now. Now you have to use the lessons that Merlin taught you. Yeah. And like now you have to actually show, you know, to demonstrate to the angry, wild people of England <laughs> that like actually we shouldn't just like rally behind whoever is the strongest. We should rally behind like someone who is like fair and rational and intelligent. And like that could be your entire third act of this movie, but we don't get it. Yeah. I feel like you should have had something happen after he's become king before Merlin comes back where he has got to pull something out of his ass. Yeah. And I think that that could be kind of thing that like almost summons Merlin back to him where he like shows him. He's like, you did it kid. Like, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. (laughs) Good job. Yeah. Yeah, it's also, so I guess we, we should probably just transition to, like, the characters kind of in this yeah. movie at this point. But, like, Arthur, as we said before, really, like, the reason I think, <sighs> one of the other reasons why this movie never really worked for me is that Arthur is, like, so uninteresting as a main character because he doesn't seem to want anything. Which I think almost, he's almost kind of alone in that because I feel like every other Disney movie has a character who wants a thing. It can be a simple thing or it can be a complicated thing. But they have I want. Right, it can literally just be like, I want to go home and that's all you want and that's well, fine. But Arthur... I think he does want to be a squire. Well, I think he like kind of wants to be a squire, but then when Merlin shows up and is like, you should be educated, he's like, he's great, like, yeah, I'll sure, be educated. I guess, yeah. yeah. He, he is, I think the, the key takeaway is that he's just impressionable. Yeah, and then and like literally like, whatever authority yeah. figure says he, to him, like, be yeah. this, he's like, great, I'll yeah. be this. He basically just gets wound up and pointed in different directions. Yeah, I and mean, as Merlin says, like, he's basically like cheating on Arthur by being like, yeah, I'll turn you into a fish, isn't that cool? I'm tricking you into learning stuff, <laughs> right. making you a fish. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> but like, yeah, prior to meeting Merlin, he... Or Arthur is just like, I don't know, I like knights are cool, Justin's cool, I want to be like that when I grow up, I guess. Right, I guess. and I think that's like, honestly, that would be like a pretty good conflict for the character to have. Yeah. For like, again, someone who has no station in life, someone who, for all he knows, is just like this random orphan who showed up one day. Mm-hmm. Like, that's probably the only thing he could ever again hope to be. Yeah. And so like, I think it'd be perfectly fine if this character has spent like 12 years of his life being like, I'm going to be a squire. That's all I want to be someday is really be a squire. And this guy shows me like, no, 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 you want to be smart instead. And then the entire movie is like him reconciling the fact with like, this is all well and good in the abstract about being smart. But I know that in this horrible real world, I got to be a squire or else I'm fucked. Right. So it it just, (laughs) again, that, that would be a character arc. For but Arthur, it would just be nice if he had one, right? Yeah, it's all, it's it's it's. No, he doesn't have any arc really. No, it's strange to me also that like this movie doesn't really mention anything about Arthur's parentage whatsoever. Like, mm-hmm. I can get that maybe you don't want to go into the whole weird thing about how like oh Cheating. Uther Pendragon like raped Arthur's mom Again. and then Merlin took the kid and hit him and like I kind of get that maybe you don't want to do that but like for all intents and purposes Arthur is just some random orphan in this movie yeah. and it's weird that like he doesn't even mention this you know like he never even mentions like oh like I was brought to Sir Ector when I was like you know two or whatever blah 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 like he just shows up and Ector is immediately like oh like I have to watch out for this kid and he's my responsibility and just sort of like but like why how did this happen where did this kid come from yeah. and there's like a whole thing in the book too where like Merlin is the one who like brought him to Ector. Yeah, most of, the, most of the time it is. Most of the time, Merlin's yeah. Uther's advisor before he was with Arthur. And right. Or Merlin's the one who was like, "Sure, I guess I'll make you look like her husband, and so you can go fuck her." I right. guess. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, like, and then he usually takes the baby because Uther plans on killing the baby. Yeah. And then it turns out Uther has no kids anyway. So right. So he is by default. And yeah. not a lot of stuff is talked about in this movie. Uh, or maybe the novel, I'm not sure, about 
the fact that, like, the Sword in the Stone is some sort of magical artifact that determines the true heir, but also, like, he is the actual heir. Right. If you didn't have a sword in the stone... He could still show up and be like, hey, yeah, my dad's Uther. My dad's Uther, yeah. yeah I'm your king. Not yeah. that they had DNA testing, but... Right, like, but like... You, it's, you, it's, it's not like a magical sword ordained it as such. The stone is basically taking the place of a DNA test. Right, yeah, effectively. But, <laughs> yeah, he is the only heir. Yeah, which is... I. I, I it, it is, like, I don't know, like, I feel like it's almost kind of a little more interesting if you wanted to tell the story where Arthur is not biologically heir to the throne, because then you could maybe give him the qualities that would allow him to pull the sword mm-hmm. from the stone, because you have the sword in the stone as this, like, magical, divine test. Don't second guess me, I'm magic, this is the best this king you will ever find. And as opposed to, like, the fact that, like, well, he's related to Uther, so, like, yeah, of course he's your king. He's the offspring, why wouldn't he be? Yeah, I, I don't know what else to say about like the character. Before there, there are three children playing Arthur. Three, yeah, three. It's right, and you just, can tell. Yeah, because their voices are very different. Right, there are very at various points before puberty and I, after puberty. I really just thought maybe it was one kid going. Yeah, I, I would say like in the movie's defense, I would not have known it was three kids if right. I hadn't known that. It just like, seemed like that kid was going through different voice changes. Right, it is bizarrely jarring, but not so jarring as to sound like three different people. He's also, I just feel like in general, Arthur as a character is so insidious to so much going on in this movie, which always makes those kinds of stories feel kind of tricky and weird when the ostensible protagonist is uninteresting and not that connected to the plot. Mm-hmm. Like, that's an odd kind of story yeah. to tell. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, he, he, he is sort of just <laughs> there. Yeah. Yeah, most of the movies, Merlin are like, come on, kid, we gotta do this, we gotta do this, we gotta teach you this. Right. It's like Merlin, st- like, stage momming him into yeah. being yeah. the Helicopter. rightful king of England. Yes. What's a helicopter? <laughs> but it, it, yeah, it is, it's it's sort of interesting also that like Arthur ends up going to England anyway. Like there's mm-hmm. like his like low point is that Hector is like you you're not going to England because you to fucked around. Yeah, London. Sorry, because you fucked around too much. And he's like, well, okay. And then we find out that like this anonymous kid has mumps, and he's like, well, you're going to London anyway. And it's just sort of like he's done nothing to do this. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like he's like it's not like. Actor says that, and Arthur is like, well, I guess I better, like, buckle down with my squire training and prove to him that, like, I could be a good squire. It's really just sort of, like, yeah. by sheer dumb luck, like, it falls into his lap, as does almost everything in this movie for him. Yeah. So, again, it just sort of reiterates, like, this is not a character who has wants or desires, so why do I want him to be the king of England again? Yeah. Anyway, Merlin, what do you think about Merlin? Uh, I kind of like that he's a he's an old grump. Yeah, I like I like that he's cantankerous. I do too. I think like he's a little like we've said this yeah. off off mic while we were watching it, and I agree with it. He's a little too sloppy, a little too dizzy. There, there are times where he like drifts toward like comic goofiness. Yeah, and there are times where it, you're like, man, do you are you okay? Are you yeah. affected? Yeah, or it's just Deuce, are you going senile? Right. Yeah. yeah no, it, where he like literally forgets the spell yeah. to turn Arthur back into when, a boy. You might want to have like. Brush up on your right, yeah, like like take a quick look through your book. before you jumped in the river. Right, exactly. There, so like there, there are definitely times where I feel like it's a little bit too like dotty for me to really sort of like the character, but I do appreciate his sort of grumpy. Well, like he's, he's got more character. He's got like if in the absence of Arthur having any character, Merlin's got enough character. To come <laughs> That's true. Merlin's got more character. He's got like he's grumpy, but he's also like got quite a bit of ego on him. Where he's like there, he's casting the packing spell, and he's like, now Arthur, check this shit out. <laughs> he's, like, he's just like he like, just does yeah. more of his like doodly boodly boodly flub, and yeah. it's just, it's just yeah. like ah, this is the good this shit is here. The good shit. Yeah. <laughs> Watch this. Yeah, he's he's quite impressed with himself half the time. 
and he's yeah. like kind of puffed up as well, which I kind of like. Yeah. There's a lot going on in him, and that guy that the actor is very good. Yeah, Carl Swanson. I think he yeah. does a good. I think he's a good voice for Merlin. Yeah, yeah. I like him. Yeah, uh, Archimedes. I guess Archimedes very is fun. Similar. They play off each other. Really yeah, wonderfully. they have they're, good chemistry. They're a great little like bitchy odd couple. Yeah, yeah. they are. Um, I don't really know what else to say about Archimedes. No, I, I mean... It's the greatest laugh. Line. Yeah. Oh, can we right, when, when the plane, when Merlin's model plane crashes into the mode, yeah, yeah. And Archimedes just laughs for like 20 seconds straight. Yeah. In, in, in different poses. With yeah. He like, he collapses. Yeah. yeah. He gets He's back like, up and then he collapses failing. again. Yeah. Collapses forward, gets up, collapses backwards. I just wanted to also... <laughs> I just want to point out one amazing animation moment with Archimedes, uh, carrying his own perch yes. to yes. Then land on the windowsill yeah. with. Loved. There was another choice you could have made where the perch is already on the or windowsill. Or he just sits on the windowsill. But yeah. I love instead that he flies he's carrying off with it, it and then he just plants it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> like, that windowsill's gross. It was just such know. a great little detail. Put my little talons on that shit. <laughs> I guess Ector and Kay. At Meatheads? K- yeah. K is, no, Ector's like a little more reasonable, but right. K is such a meathead. A yeah, K, K is like the biggest fucking dummy. Yeah. I, I do love how he's animated though, with just. It's just this He has both face. a heavy brow and a heavy brow. Yeah, yeah, and a big nose. Just, his face collapsing in itself. Yeah. To a singular. It's just so blockish in yeah. the most perfect yeah. way. And then I love that he just has that, like, shaggy thatch of yes. hair. Yeah. That's always and, almost covering his eyes. And whatever his helmet is on, you just see these... Like these grumpy eyes. eyes. Oh, yeah. So, and it's just... Boom, 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 yeah. Boom. So good. And the, the fact that... We, I was going to crack... I was crack up when he's so thoroughly unimpressed by actual hats. That's right. Merlin makes it snow inside and Hector's like, Hey, look at this. And he's like, So what? Yeah, and it's not even... It just grips like, it's, not his even, chicken it's not even like he looks at it and then he's like pretending it's not cool. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't even, even play. He just, like, like, doesn't even fucking face him for a like, minute. Listen, man, there's still chicken on this boat. <laughs> yeah. I know what I care about. This chicken! That is one of those things that I love in cartoons when a character, like, puts a chicken bone in their mouth, like, pulls, like, just yes. the bone out and, like, yes. entirely devoid of meat. Like, God, I wish I could do that. Similar to, like, we all want. Yeah. cats just, like, like pull the fish, fish skeleton, like, yeah. with the xylophone noise. <laughs> Um, Lee, you like mentioned it briefly, but I kind of do like that Ector is a little bit more like when you see his first scene is him being like, like, why did you leave him there in the woods? Like, 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 yeah, yeah, like I have to like watch out for this kid and you just like fucking left him there. But then for the rest of the movie, he's pretty much kind of just like a blustering jerk. And I think it would be kind of more interesting to see a version of Ector who is like a stern authoritarian figure. And maybe he does. Right. And maybe he does like, like. Wart a little bit less than his own son, but he still sort of has this affection for the kid. And so maybe you get to see yeah. his soft side toward Arthur a little bit more. It's also interesting, I think, that apparently in the book, neither one of these characters is as big of a jerk as they are in the movie. So it was like a choice to make them both like mild antagonists, yeah, which is antagonists. strange if, to me. It would have been an interesting choice, too, if if Arthur, because he kind of is, he's not about blanket that it doesn't work, but if you'd made him like sort of the nice one, yeah. if you had like... Hector has two kids, one of his own blood that is a fucking jackass. Yeah. And a, but and a strong. Flunky, and both strong yeah. and good adjusting. And one who's like genuinely a good kid, a go getter, a good spirit, good heart. And Hector's got to contend with like, this kid's really much better than my son. Right, yeah. But I can't love him as much. I have to treat him like shit because right. he's not my real son. And yeah. it's like, man, why is Kay my son? Why yeah, like, why, yeah, why can't, yeah. why not Arthur? That would have been a really fun dynamic to play with. But yeah. I'm really good to see that. Yeah, no, I agree. That would be good. Yeah. 
Uh, Madame Mim, I guess, is really probably the last. I mean, I mean she's just a huge j- yeah. like, shot of jolt of energy. We all agree she's fucking great. Yeah, she's but great. She just doesn't belong in this. No, movie. I think that's like my big. Is that if or she's she belongs in a sillier version? Or, or, of this or movie. I mean, even just if she's going to belong in this movie, you have to do the work to make her belong. Yeah. Or cut her out entirely. Like I always assumed for years that she was someone I made that, up by Disney. Yeah, the Disney made her up, and apparently this is not the case. From the name to her behavior, right. it just seems like a Disney character. Right, it just seems like something they would have done. Because they were like, we need something like fun and, and goofy here. You told here. me that came from the book. I was kind of blown away. Yeah, yeah. it's. I I, w- I kind of want to read the book now to see. But how I can't. I don't even know how to find that version because she's not in the Once in the Future. Right, because if you buy like the Once in the Future King, she's omitted from that. Yeah, and so you need to like track down the original version of, of Sword, Sword and Stone. Stone. Yeah. Which I'm sure you could probably do, but I like. It, I feel like it's one of those things where like you just go on Amazon a, and buy the Sword and Stone. Yeah, that is true. A books is very useful for yeah. this sort of shit. Um, yeah, a very fun character. The wizard's duel at the end has some great animation. It's probably for me the highlight of the movie in terms yeah. of like the most fun sequence where it's just you know this constant back and forth between Mim and um, Merlin, where it's like you know she turns into an alligator and he turns into a turtle, so yeah. she turns into a fox and like. Well, like, I will say like both this and the shape shifting battle from the Sandman don't hold water for me. They hold water <laughs> as if I if I was to be a child watching it, uh-huh. but as an adult, I'm like. Don't don't start with fox. Don't start with yeah. wolf. And like, why are you not like when you're a crab hanging onto a rhino? Don't wait for the rhino to crash into a tree. Right. Get off of it now. Right. I mean, like my, my whole like, are I, there rules here? Do you have yeah. to be an animal for ten seconds before you change? Like, what the fuck are you doing? I think it's like for for me, it's like it's some very fun animation. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah. I appreciate what a good time the animators had making this. Yeah. It's the most but I do agree life. that like it's at various points, it's like I don't know, Merlin. Why don't you just like be proactive and turn into like something? Like, I realize that your whole point is like turn into something crafty, and yeah. Mims is like I'm going to turn into something large that will yeah, eat you. Everything Mims is like a predator. Or right, Merlin's doing all these weird ass animals. Right, so it's like I don't know, like things. right, so like just turn into something else. Like she turns into a tiger, turn into a lion or something. I like. love when she turns into a chicken. Yeah, yeah, and, and she I makes that like. <laughs> yeah, and when Merlin is the walrus, like falls and switches yeah. her, <laughs> just. <laughs> and I do think that the ending is clever when Merlin turns into a germ. Me too. Like I think yeah, that's, that's a pretty a like that's honestly like probably the best encapsulation of the theme of I education love, versus might. I love that they cut from like. Sick Mim Dragon to Sick Mim Dragon in bed. It's yeah. so funny. And she's got a thermometer that's not going to be invented for. Merlin's <laughs> <laughs> from the future. He knows. Also, like when he started talking about germs, was everyone just like, "What?" <laughs> no, I, I do love the idea that like what about, which four humors of this? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> do I have an excess of bile? What's yeah. going on here? You have too much yellow bile. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I guess just lastly, real quick. Oh, Pelinor, yeah, we, we stand our gay bestie. <laughs> with a, with, with, a, a with, with brush-like facial yes. hair. Literally shows up to Ector's castle like, Ector, I'm here to spill the tea. <laughs> Ector, I have news from London. News. Big news. <laughs> He's the... He's wearing um, pink and purple. Let's be honest. Yeah. We know what this character is coded as. <laughs> just sort of the music real quick and looking to score. So this is one of the few times we've done a musical. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is still a musical. There's only like a handful of songs. And the but songs for, are pretty short. There's, I, I think like that, that is kind of like an issue that I, the, the songs for this are done by the Sherman Brothers who are better known obviously is doing like the songs for Mary Poppins mm-hmm. and the Jungle Book. They do a good job here. They're right. Just, and like, I think quick. a lot of the songs are like pretty solid songs, but they're also kind of inconsequential songs. Hey, this figure is kind of a throwaway number 
Um, that's when Merlin's packing. Oh, okay. Even something that like that's to what makes and fro. right. That's what makes the world around. Like it's it's a strange number for me because as I was like paying attention to it this time, I was like, it starts off with Merlin just being like opposites are important. Opposites right. make the world around. Then all of a sudden he's like, and you gotta be smart, kid. Yeah. Remember, you gotta like you gotta aim so high, nice. right? I'm and so it's just that. sort of like what 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 is the point of the song? Beard is the point just that like it takes all kinds. You have to be Connect in charge of your own destiny, right? So it just sort of feels like no one really knew what this moment. <laughs> Was going to be in songs, so they're just kind of like, I don't know, let's just cover all the fucking bases let's here. Just do it all. Right. And like, I like Madame Mim's song because I love the part where she says, I'm an ugly old creep. I love that. I love that her like, Mad, 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 Mad. And I love when she turns into like the sexy Madame Mim and like shakes her hips and it makes like a bongo voice. And I love how much of her singing just becomes, <laughs> yeah, the entire verse is just going, la, 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 la. It's just for like, like, it's like, oh, it's 459, we got to get home, let's write some lyrics. It's also, though, it also kind of works a lot though, of, because like, she doesn't, she doesn't, yeah, there is. She oh, doesn't need to be smart. She just got to be a hot lady. That's right. Yeah, there's a lot of, in these songs, there's a lot of Merlin's going, hee dee Yeah, right. He just thinks it's entirely him just like making shit up. And then when they reprise it later on during the dishes, he's like, sweepity scrubbity, sweepity scrub. And it's just like, okay. All right, so I think that we've covered all that we need to cover about this movie. So we should go on to fixes. Who wants to start? Chris me, wants to start. Go, me. Chris. You go. I'm not feeling beholden to the story whatsoever. Mm. I'm just going to keep on the general track of we're climaxing with Arthur, you know, pulling that pulling that sword. I want to have a very brief kind of maybe like flashbacky montage thing of Merlin arriving to kind of uh, broker a truce between uh, Nimue and her pagan tribes whatever they could be picks or Celts or whatever you mm-hmm. want to do really druids and then probably like Palinor or Ector and they're like Christendom in London yeah queen um, what ends up kind of forming the border is this sword in a magic stone that is roughly on the border between these two realms and his he, he knows that someone of this specific generation is going to be one to like pull the sword but he's just not sure who basically i want him to have saved arthur from like an invasion of uther's castle and Mm -hmm. we don't you don't need to see them die on screen but just his family was probably taken by the pagan tribes in the druids or whatever and they're dead they're gone uh but then he takes lol arthur to london where there's basically it can just be all of the lol versions of the round table and guinevere and whatnot and Merlin's just trying to figure out which among them are going to be the ones to like grab the sword and claim it. I want to have Arthur already have an interest in kind of rudimentary medieval level technology and that he really wants to take the sword out of the stone, but all of these different machines and things that he creates to try to do so because he just naturally assumes my moodily not built up arms couldn't possibly do this mm-hmm. and we'll say that like Kay the like lunkhead jock one has already tried and it's failed or whatever um, but that Arthur's arc is about having like learning and having faith in himself to be able to just do that without the aid of one of these machines um I want him to maybe sort of interact with Nimue in some ways where she's sort of introducing more of a, like, counterpoint to his life in London, and that maybe Mim is, like, a form that she takes to, like, antagonize people and try to, like, fuck with them. And yeah. then the the machines thing is what specifically kind of has Merlin, or uh, Arthur stick out to Merlin as... A probable guy to do it. <laughs> Be like, oh, I like, I like gear too. Let me tell you about the twenty. <laughs> Let me tell you about the fucking trade, kiddo. Do you uh, want to go? Yeah, I guess I'll okay. go. I also don't have a whole lot uh, because I, I haven't read the book and I don't know enough about the book to know like how to adapt the book better. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I, because this movie was really my first dive into Arthurian lore and legend, I just wanted to do like, what would I do if I was doing like young King Arthur story, like before he's, he's king. Because I spent some time diving back into like some of the stuff that I read as a kid and also just like the general sort of like, you know, branches that this mythology can kind of take. I think what I gravitate towards, too, in this movie is the two gay dads aspect of our communities in Merlin and this idea of, like, what to, like, how to bring up this kid that you know is going to be king. Yeah. And I kind of want to bring in other figures from the myth that I know and love that, like, are associates of Arthur. And I like the idea that there are other people around that are, like, sensing that, like, this this is going to be, like, the new king. And, like, what do we do? Like, how do we nurture this kid to be, like, the next king or whatever? I also like the idea that King Arthur is, again, rooted in this divide between pagan old traditions and Celtic traditions and, like, Christian ideals and, and so forth. So I kind of Wanted to have uh, at least two opposing figures and maybe two others, but Talias and the Bard is one of the figures that I like the most, um, and I think he would be a good inclusion here. As a, uh, I don't know what you do with Archimedes because I know that it's Disney and it's nice to have talking, talking animal things. Yeah. Would you make them look like a Diablo type? Well, I don't know. I don't know if I would like lose Archimedes altogether if he's a, a, a he's still there as a third figure as a talking owl because we need this Disney we need a thing. But I wanted another person, sort of antithetical to Merlin, a little bit. And that Talias and as a bard is more focused on like this is how we make legends. Legends have to defeat great evils and like slay beasts and so forth and do all this stuff. And Merlin's like, no, 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 it's more important that like we teach him the right lessons and morality and goodness. And so you have multiple people trying like, well, he's, he can't be a wimp. Like he's gonna have to fight stuff and he's gonna have to do all this stuff as well. It can't just be about knowing what's right and what's wrong <laughs> right. and all this stuff. Like he's still gonna have to know how to swing sword by the end of the day. And I like that they, yeah, like they sort of converge. And, and maybe it, it, I think you would go back to like Merlin definitely knows this kid's gonna be king. And maybe he's the only one that really knows it because he's the one that's sort of responsible for Arthur being here. But and everyone else is just sort of like you know kind of falls in around this this like little orphan kid. Maybe Taliesin is like a bard that's like hanging out at Hector's castle for a spell and kind of is endeared by this weird orphan kid. They make a good narrator and or a good person. Yeah, because you already have a narrator and you have, like, the bard opening up. So I think it would be a natural fit to have, like, a bard who's just hanging around at the the palace because he's wandering around and he hears about this tournament and he's like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll hang around here for a while. Um, and maybe you could even get, like, Pelinor in, because Pelinor is also eventually one of the knights of the round table as, like, a more, uh, chivalric, traditional, like, well, like, a kid's gonna learn how to, how to fight and all that. Right. So I like these different elements of, like, story and knowledge and, and, like, might and all of these different people competing to, like, teach this kid. Um, and I, I think it would be a nice kind of, like, fun, heartwarming story about, while Ector is kind of focused on making Kay the, the new king or whatever, these other three are, like noticing maybe noticing Arthur for the first time more where he's been kind of invisible for his whole life and, and like in growing up and and yeah you'd still have some of the weird wacky animal lessons maybe we learn more out of them <laughs> maybe they have points yeah maybe I'd love for them to have a point I think out of uh, most of all I think that I, it'd be A a nice thing to show that like when someone finally pays attention to this kid uh, he starts showing more promise mm-hmm. like oh like well when you nurture someone turns out they do better and if you just like, let them <laughs> Wow, what an insight. Drudge in the kitchen yeah. all the whole time. And also, like, B, that, like, yeah, like, there's, it would be just a good, to include evidence of that growth and that knowledge, like, being shown throughout the movie. So that there are, like, you know, maybe each of them, the three of them, like, teaches Arthur a specific lesson. Mm-hmm. And there's a point at which, like, maybe at the end, at the jousting game where he has to show it. I don't know how you would get there, um, but I think you do want that. Maybe, you, like you said, it would be, like, after he becomes king, there's, like, a... 
a very early challenge to the throne. Yeah. Again, I'm unclear how the throne is absent for so long. Yeah, that just the, it is a strange thing that this Who's, movie yeah. doesn't really like. Who is in charge? Who's in charge? Like, is, is everyone just like on tenterhooks all the time, like, yeah. waiting for some shit to go is, down? Is it a feudal system it barely only, kept in check? Yeah. I mean, like, has it only been like a month? Is it since Uther died? Like, what's the deal? Right. No, that's that's fair too. It was it just, last week. Right. It yeah. just says like over time the sword was forgotten, but like how? Long? how yeah. How over so, time? Well, yeah. and like it 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 just it it does feel like we just sort of stumble into the end game out of nowhere yeah 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 like this when you by the time you're saying like okay i guess we're just gonna hold a tournament and whoever wins is king like how long has that been and what have you been doing in the meantime right and it's, it's yeah it just feels like there, there's like a lot of I, you know i'm not saying i want an entire disney movie about like geopolitics yeah. but like it feels like you need if a little bit here there's one thing that doesn't last long in medieval times it's a power vacuum right there's a yeah. million kings ready to take over right is it just like did all of london like crumble into like individual kingdoms yeah. or, or you'd, england like you'd think that would be the natural place to Put a potential antagonist too, like oh, there's someone on the yeah, throne who's no like, yeah. good. Right. Yeah. My thought. So we we had talked about this briefly, and the idea that like, frankly, you could very easily do a version of this movie that does not have Madame Mim whatsoever, and like mm-hmm. that's very true. It's a hundred percent true, and it's probably like the easiest way to fix this movie is just to omit Madame Mim and have the the antagonist be just sort of like malaise or ignorance or whatever the fuck is going on in England right now. But as we also established, I like Madame Mim. Mm. So this is what my thought would be. So my thought would be that, first of all, this movie should open with Baby Arthur. And Baby Arthur is someone that, like, Merlin knows to be next in line for the throne. I don't think he's Uther's kid, but he's just sort of like this orphan that Merlin knows because of his means of knowing things that, like, yes, this is the kid that we're going to want. This is the one. Right. So in the beginning, as that they cover in, like, the little song in the beginning, Uther dies. And... All of a sudden, Sword in the Stone comes out of nowhere, just like pures itself. And Merlin's like, this is some magic shit. Like, this has got to be the way. And like, and I know because of the way I live and the way I see things that Arthur is the next king. And Arthur at the time is probably like four or something. And he's like, okay, pull the sword out of the stone. Let's like get this over. Go on. So Arthur goes up there and he can't pull it out. And Merlin's just sort of like, huh. Okay, didn't see that coming. That that shouldn't be. He should be able to pull the sword from the stone. Like, I know he does, so why can't he do it? In the meanwhile, like, London is crumbling, like, everything's going to hell, and he's like, all right, I gotta get this kid out of here. Like, I still believe he's important. I'm gonna dump him off on Ector. Ector, who is, like, dumb, lunk-headed guy, but he's, like, he's like a sweet guy, but, like, yeah. he's kind of, like, an idiot with his old-fashioned views. And his son, Kay, who is, like, this big himbo. Again, well-intentioned, but kind of a dummy and stronger than he is smart. And he's like, I think this is a good place to, like, stash this kid for now. No one's gonna find him i'm gonna throw him there i'm going to impart upon him the idea that education is important and that i'm gonna split and like just <laughs> keep tabs on things so he does this arthur is growing up to be like age 12 or whatever it is that we see him in the movie and in the scene that we get where he goes into the woods to get the arrow back instead of encountering merlin he encounters madame mim and madame mim is like i feel like i i know who this kid is i feel like i've heard about merlin's interest in this kid what's your deal kid and he's like oh well you know i'm practicing to be a squire right now but i also think like education is kind of important she's like no being a squire like that sounds like what you should be doing because mim is i'm reveling in this situation that's going on right now everything's a fucking shit show and bitch i am here for it. I'm, and a, so, I'm a messy bitch who yes, loves she's, she's, drama. She's a messy bitch who loves drama. And so she's like, no, 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 no. Like, maybe you should just, like, focus on the squire thing. Fuck education. You're gonna be a squire. Like, that is the best thing you could hope for. And Arthur's like, oh, okay, I guess. And, like, as he's leaving, I think Archimedes happens to notice that this kid's just coming out of Mim's house and is like, shit, Merlin, you gotta get your ass over to this castle right now and start teaching this kid about what's going on. And so... 
I do want to keep the idea of the lessons. I like the lessons better from what I can tell in the book, having not read the book, but understand the idea that like, you know, there's the whole we talked about before, like the goose, mm -hmm. like we turns into a goose and the lesson is kind of there are no boundaries. Boundaries are a thing we make up and it's just sort of keep that in mind. You're all fighting over things that don't really exist. The entire movie has to be about Merlin teaching these lessons with a point to Arthur. Then I think what happens is, so at the end, you're going to have the thing where um, Arthur shows up and is like, Hey, guess what? I'm a squire now, Merlin. Merlin's like, ah, what? And I want it to be a little bit more, a little bit more elaborated on mm -hmm. than it is in the movie. You know, Merlin in the movie just sort of immediately is like, what the fuck are you doing being a squire? I can't believe you're being a squire. Whereas in this one, like, I kind of want it to be a little bit more of a back and forth where Arthur explains why this is a good thing. And Merlin's like, no, like, I know that you can do better things than be a squire. Like, you have to do better things than be a squire. And Arthur's like, I don't know that I can. I'm not really sure that this is something I'm capable of doing. You say that I am, but like, there's been nothing to indicate in my life that this is the case <laughs> right now. Everything I've learned, I learned because you're a magic guy helping and me out with all this shit right so it's just like I, I don't think what you're telling me is true and everyone's like all right then and he disappears and so then what i think you're going to have at the end is when you're at that um the whole uh the, the jousting tournament that's happening on new year's eve or whatever what i want it to be then is that mim shows up then because she's like she knows that they're like crowning a new king and mim is like fucking knock this shit off right now like i've had it up to here with you like doing this shit like if like if like if this is the shit you're gonna play that i'm just gonna claim the throne for myself <laughs> and so arthur is the one who's this is not a system of government that you're doing here right now like you're this is might for right not a good thing you know we need to like learn more be better people and that's when merlin shows back up and i think what they're going to do is they're going to have the wizards duel but instead of merlin it's going to be arthur turning into animals where like oh. basically merlin allows arthur to like do what he needs to do yeah. and turns into various animals so that arthur is the one who determines to who decides that he can turn into a germ like to that. incapacitate mim and so that i think is what like teaches arthur all these lessons finally and it shows Arthur using the knowledge that Merlin taught him without having Merlin be the one sort of like directly <laughs> guiding him and really pushing him through right and so then obviously at the end after Mim has been defeated Merlin's like try that sword thing one more time and Arthur pulls the sword out and he is king of England uh, I like that Arthur is more active yeah, in I his mean, development he gotta be he gotta be he gotta be he a little windsock do we have the big classic question now would you recommend the sword and the stone you've seen it already yeah again much I... like with, with other movies we've done you've probably seen the sword and the stone I would it's a fun one it's short and it's fun it is this... I, show your kids this movie if you have kids this is yeah this is by no means one of my favorite Disney movies like it's probably in the the bottom 15 or so honestly for the me bottom 15 i'm just saying there, there's like 60 of them so you'd have to really yeah. go nuts ranking but like it's probably toward the lower part but like i don't hate this movie like to like to say that you hate it's this movie hateable, right? right like it feels like you would have to like get really worked up yeah. and like i can't get that worked up about this it's, movie it's really difficult to have a like hot take really about this movie just because it's it's inoffensive it's not really doing anything yeah, wrong i mean like i don't think it's a good movie but like i can see why people like like i see why you like it lee and yeah. i see like there are things about it that i like as well I just don't think it's a good movie, but I can't be like, no, don't watch it. It's bad. I'm glad we got to talk about sure the sword and the stone. Pulled the sword out of that stone. We sure oh, we did. Are you able to? I mean, mine's like practically melted. Yeah, so mine's, yeah. I can what still, about the other one? Mine's oh. full, yeah. It's sort of like sliding up. Yeah. We're kings. Swords free. We're kings, All baby. right. We did it. We did it. So come back at us in two weeks with our mini episode. Dratpack.com is our website. Facebook.com slash whywatchpodcast is our Facebook page. We're on Apple Podcast and Stitchy Preem, so you can subscribe <laughs> and rate us there. And, of course, listen to all our old episodes there yeah. and on DraftPack.com as well. I guess we should just buy it on out. 